chapter 1 tonight, John chapter 1. Uh, as we jump in, I would love for you each time you come into this place to bring a Bible. One of the most important burdens for me and for this camp here is that you would know what's being spoken here is not just kind of ideas or thoughts or opinions that we have, but rather the very Word of God. So we'd love for you to have your Bible. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and talk to the camp staff here, your youth pastor, and we can try to figure out how to get you one so you can track along this week. Hey, as we turn into John chapter 1, that's the fourth book of the New Testament, I uh, would love to introduce myself. I'll be spending some time with you all this week. My name is Brian Howard. I'm a pastor at a church called Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, uh, which is just kind of north of Los Angeles, kind of east of Malibu. Uh, that's where we're located. And uh, as we jump into this week, you'll be hearing a lot uh, from the Word of God. I'll be speaking a lot and just want to tell you a few things so you can know what's most important to me. So uh, three things that are really um, massive and important in my life. Number one, um, it was March 1st of 2013. Uh, so almost, you know, next year to be 10 years ago. Uh, that I got to marry my best friend, a beautiful woman. This is my wife, Danny. Uh, so this was her on our wedding day. Beautiful woman, an incredible mom, uh, just the best wife. I'm so grateful to have married her. Just like a pro tip for your life, for everyone here. Guys, marry a woman who loves Jesus more than you. Women, marry a guy who loves God more than you. Like, like marry someone who is filled with character and faith and holiness uh, and who seeks after Jesus. That's what I've done, and it has just blessed me more than I could possibly imagine. So again, that's my wife, Danny. She could not be here this week. She's at home, uh, and she's at home, really. The reason she's at home is because we got three babies, uh, and those three babies, I want to, um, we're trying to make sure they're all sleeping properly, but I want to introduce you. That's kind of the second most important thing about me. Uh, I got three babies, and so here's my first one. This is my oldest, Grace. Uh, Grace here, uh, yeah, she's four years old. This was last weekend. This was her first time ever going on a Ferris wheel. They put a big Ferris wheel up off the freeway, she kept pointing at it, wanting to go on it, and had the time of her life up there. And so that's Grace. She's four. She is sweet. She is quiet. She is empathetic. She is just a brilliant young girl and the light of my life. So that's Grace. Here is my son, Noah. Uh, Noah, yeah, he's a riot. Uh, he is two years old. This was his first time at Disneyland, uh, and he rode the carousel and thought that was like peak experience in life. Uh, and so Noah's my little man. Um, here's the deal about Noah. Like 80% of the time, he's sweet and cute and adorable, and 20% of the time, I think he will bring an end to all of human existence, okay? Uh, that is my son. He's so sweet, and then sometimes I'm like, you are destroying everything. All right, uh, third child and final child, uh, this is Hope. Yeah, Hope, yeah, she's, she's, she's this big. Hope is four months old, uh, and so we are just now, like two weeks ago, we had our first night where she slept through the whole night, uh, and so we're just getting her, yeah, it was a big, it was a, it was, yeah, hallelujah, hallelujah, um, it was a brilliant thing, um, and so we're trying to keep that ball rolling, so we didn't want to bring them up to camp, throw them off their schedule, but that's my family, so again, uh, married this woman, Danny, um, have these three beautiful babies, so I'm just going to miss so much this week, and then Here's the third thing about me, and it's the most important thing I need you to know about me, that when I was about your age, I encountered something, and that something is actually a someone, and that someone is the resurrected Jesus Christ. But like when I was your age, I met Jesus, and it changed my whole life. See, see, like many of you, I grew up going to church, and actually for me, growing up going to church was a bit of an odd experience. I didn't realize this was weird until later in life, which is most of adulthood. You realize something that was normal to you in childhood was actually kind of bizarre. But I had parents who were married. Next year, it'll be 40 years they've been married, but every Sunday for 40 years, they've gone to separate churches. 
So my dad is this Irish Catholic man who would go to Catholic Mass every single Sunday. And my mom is this Dutch Presbyterian lady who would go to her Presbyterian church every Sunday. So the question for me and my brothers growing up was not, will we go to church? That was a given. The question was, which church will we go to? And so what I would do is decide which church I would go to based on what time my precious and beloved San Francisco 49ers were playing that day. If they had the early game, I would go to my dad's mass because that was early in the morning and then I could get back in time for kickoff. But if it was the later game, I'd go to my mom's church. And so all growing up, it was kind of this like, which church am I going to go to? But then something happened to me when I was going into eighth grade year. It was the summer before eighth grade year at a camp just like this, a Christian camp. And all my life, the question had been, where are you going to go to church? And then suddenly I was confronted with a question, and it's a question I hope many of you are confronted with this week. It's this one, what are you going to do with Jesus? See, because it's actually pretty easy to answer the question, am I going to go to church or not? You can check that box. But then what happened to me is I'm at this camp, and suddenly Jesus is presented, and I actually have to wrestle with what I'm going to do with Jesus, this resurrected Jesus who presents himself and says, what are you going to do with me? It changed my whole life, and I pray and I hope that happens for some of you this week as we dive into the Gospel of John. See, this week our plan is to go through the entire Gospel of John, and we won't get to every verse and every story and every teaching in the Bible, but I hope it presents you with something beautiful about who God is and what he wants to reveal to us through his son Jesus. So again, we'll begin, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 1, verse 1, we'll begin at the very beginning. It says these words. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing that was made has been made. Now, the Gospel of John begins in the very same way that the very beginning of the Bible begins. Like if you grew up in church, you know the first sentence of the Bible, right? In the beginning, God did what? He created the heavens and the earth. And so in the beginning of the Bible, God creates everything, and in the beginning of the Gospel of John, we see that same echo, that same story going on. But here's what you might not know. What you might not know is that when the Bible was written, the words we just read were super controversial, and nobody believed it was true. Like, let me give you five words that were super controversial in the ancient world, and up until about a hundred years ago, nobody believed them. Here's the five words. The universe began to exist. Now, now I know that doesn't sound very controversial, but let me say those five words again. The universe began to exist. Now, Now, here's what happened. All throughout human history, the belief that everyone believed, all the philosophers, all the smart people, all the scientists, everyone believed that the universe was eternal, meaning it never starts, it never ends, it just goes on forever. It's always been there. It's just a fact of life. All the way back to ancient Greece, there's records of the really smart and wise and scientific going, the universe has always been, it is eternal. All the way up through the Middle Ages, all the way up through the Renaissance, everyone believed the universe was eternal and never began to exist. And so you know what happened? This was crazy. For all of human history, up until about 100 years ago, when Christians would say the universe began to exist and God created it, people would go, you silly, unscientific Christians, what do you know about the world? The universe has always existed. Like Christians were looked down upon for believing that the universe had a beginning. And then about 100 years ago, something rattled the scientific world. See, here's what happened. About 100 years ago, this guy Edwin Hubble, if you've ever heard of like the Hubble Space Telescope, this guy Edwin Hubble was looking in his telescope and he realized something that shocked him. 
he realized that everywhere he looked in the universe, matter was flying out at an unbelievable speed in every single direction. And what he discovered shocked everyone. What he discovered was this, that the universe is expanding. Expanding, 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 constantly expanding. And what they concluded is this, if it's expanding, it means at one point, it was at one point. Meaning if it's expanding, it's coming out from a central point where everything exploded and everything came into being. And that's where we got the idea of the Big Bang from. So about 100 years ago, suddenly science flips and catches up with what the Bible has always been saying throughout all of time, that there was a beginning to the universe. And I'll tell you this. Like again, if you're just kind of that skeptical person who's not sure you want to believe the Bible because of science, I'm just telling you, the Bible is way ahead of science on this one. Like God was way ahead in revealing that the universe began to exist. Now, now why am I making a big deal of this? Because what John is going to tell us is that the universe began to exist, and then what John is going to tell us is that the universe began to exist because of something. Like, it didn't just pop randomly into being. It didn't just start coming out of nowhere. It didn't just explode out of nothingness. There was something that caused the universe to exist. And what John is going to say, if you look back to verse 1, it's that in the beginning was the Word, and this Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through Him all things were made. Like, in other words, John says the universe began to exist. It has a cause, and that cause is something we see here in the text called the Word. Now the word, this word logos in ancient Greek, is this abstract idea of this powerful, rational entity that orders and creates the world. In Hebrew culture, it was this personal and loving and covenant God. And so ultimately, here's what John is making the claim of, that the universe began to exist, and the universe began to exist because of something. And here's the key to it all, that the universe began to exist because of Jesus, that Jesus brought the universe into existence. Now, why is this such a big deal? Like, what does this mean for your life other than, like, cool, like, God made everything, whatever? Here's what this means. Um, Creating the world, creating the world means God gets to define the world. Like, I'll say it differently. Like, because God created the world, God gets to define the world. Because God is the creator of the world, he has the authority to say what the world is and what it should be about. It's like this. This is not a trick question, so raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have any kind of social media whatsoever. Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, MySpace, whatever you kids are using these days. Okay, right, 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 okay, okay. So, so remember when you created the account for whichever little thing you're on. You remember the process, right? You went in, you signed up for an account, you put in your name, and you created the profile. You created the account. And then what happens once you create the account? It asks for your name, it asks for a photo, it asks for a bio, and here's what happens. You get to shape and create what that account is all about, right? Like you get to say, this is the photo I'm going to put up. This is the name I'm going to use. This is the bio, and it'll either actually tell about me or it'll be some artsy phrase out of poetry, right? Like that's what I'm going to do. I get to decide, like, what my aesthetic on my grid is, if I'm going to have a pattern or not. Like, you get to decide that. And why do you get to decide that? Because you created that. Like, you ever thought about the fact that I don't actually have the authority to go into your social media and change anything? Your mom or your dad, like, like hopefully you've allowed them, like, to access that. But actually, the person who has the authority to go in there is the person who created the account. And the company does not allow anyone who didn't create the account to give access to change anything. So what's the point I'm making? Because you created the account, you get to define what it's like. And here's why this matters. Every eye in the room on me right now. I need you to remember that you didn't create you. You didn't create you. 
And because you didn't create you, you do not get to define you. Just like because you didn't create your friend's social media account sitting next to you, you don't get to define their account. You didn't create you. And because you are not the creator of you, you do not have the authority or the means to define yourself. God Almighty gets to define you. And we live in a culture and we live in a moment that says you define you however you want to be. You sell who you are and everyone in the world will shape around that. And the Bible says the opposite. Like God reveals that he created you and therefore he gets to define you. Like you don't get to define your life. You don't get to define your purpose. You don't get to define your own morality. God created the world. Therefore he gets to define it. It goes on this way in verse 4. It says, in him was life. And that, light was the li- that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So all throughout the Gospel of John, there's going to be this contrast between lightness and dark. And lightness is where we live in the light of how God has created the world and how God has ordered things. And darkness is where we live in a kind of moral and societal unclarity and chaos where we walk away from what God is. And here's what it says here. That that life was light, and that light shines in the darkness. Like in other words, no matter how chaotic or weird or strange or overwhelming the world gets, God is always shining his light into that darkness. Verse 6 says this. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So like suddenly this average guy named John is thrown into the story. But John is this guy that you might know if you grew up in church, John the Baptist. He's the one who baptizes Jesus. And it says in verse 7, he came as a witness to testify concerning to that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, but he came as a witness to the light. So I want to pause here and look at the ministry of John. Because here's what John the Baptist does. John is not putting himself forward. John is not making himself the center of everything. It says here twice in verse 7 and verse 8 that he came as a witness to the light. He came as a witness, as only a witness. John is a witness to the light. He is in awe of it. He is in adoration of it. And that is the way we should approach God. See, I just want to plead with you this week that you would just be in kind of this witness adoration mode this week rather than what so many teenagers do in your generation where you get into critic mode. Do, do you realize that? Like, like, this is a major issue in this generation, where there's kind of this constant critique of everything going on always. And so you're here at camp, and rather than just kind of seeking after who God is and what he wants, doing what John does, where he's just witnessing to who Jesus is, what you do is you fall into this critic mode, where you're constantly kind of going like, eh, that video, like, oh, I didn't like that as much. Or like the worship band comes out, and you're like, oh, they were great. And you're just kind of like assessing things. You're assessing wreck, and you're assessing the people in your cabin, and you're assessing me, and you're like, I don't like how he dresses. I don't like how fast he talks. Like, you're just kind of in assessment mode constantly. And I just want to plead with someone in this room this week. Don't be in assessment mode. Be in adoration mode this week. Like, seek after Jesus. Your goal isn't to just be a critic who critiques camp this week. Would you be like John the Baptist, who just comes to witness what God is up to in this world? Because I can tell you this. You can have an okay week of camp here if you're in constant critique mode. You can have some fun just kind of picking apart everyone and everything, and that's what kind of happens in this generation. Or you can have a week where you encounter Jesus and it changes everything. But that only happens when you have the eyes to see it, when you are in adoration mode not an assessment mode. It goes on this way in verse 9. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming in to the world. 
Again, it says this true light that gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. So I said in the Gospel of John, there's this contrast between the darkness of the world and the light of the world. And what's used in the Gospel of John is this, that, it's to, that to see the light is to walk in the truth. If you're taking notes, write that down. That to see the light is to walk in the truth. We use these terms truth, and we use the term light, and we use them interchangeably. That's what we do. Like, you know this, and I know this, because if I came up and told you, hey, um, I'm new to camp here, I've never been here before, I'm kind of in the dark, where is the dining hall? When I say I'm kind of in the dark, everyone here gets what that means, right? It means I don't understand, and I need someone to tell me the truth. Or if I say to you, hey, hey, can you help me shed some light on what time wreck is tomorrow morning? You know what I'm asking for, right? I don't have to explain it. You know that I don't know what it is, and I would like you to explain it to me. So all throughout the scriptures, and even in our own language we use today, when we talk about light, we are talking about truth. And that's this whole theme, this whole thing we're going to kind of consider, truth be told, this whole thing for this week is that we would walk in the light, and to walk in the light is to walk in the truth. And here's what I need us to just linger on for a moment tonight. I need us to linger on the fact that truth has gotten so confused and wildly upside down in our generation that we need to step back and remember what truth actually is. Again, if you're taking notes, you can write down this sentence. Truth. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. Truth is that which corresponds with reality. Now that sounds kind of heady and philosophical, so let's make it really simple here. We're going to do like a basic counting game, okay? We're going to make this really, really simple. I want you to see this um, intelligent light here, right here on the stage. This big old light that's shining light out into the room. Here's what I want to ask. How many of these are sitting on the stage? I don't mean like up there. How many of them are on the stage? Count with me. One, two. Oh, you nailed it. Killed it. Amazing. There's two up here, right? And so here's what we need to say. What is reality? The reality. You're like three, four, six. No, two. And here's the reality. There are two lights on the stage right now. And here's what I need you to know. That that is what corresponds with reality. So the true statement is there are two lights on the stage. And here's what you need to know. That's how we define truth. That's what truth is. Truth is not a matter, let's say of this, of tradition. So let's say you came to Hume last year and there were four lights on the stage. And you're like, well, last year there was four lights on the stage. And I have in my mind always had the Hume stage with four lights on the stage. So I'm going to go with four. There's four lights on the stage. You know what you are? You're wrong. You're wrong. You're like, no, there's four because last year there was four. It's like, no, just because people have always said that doesn't mean there are. There's two lights on the stage. Truth is not a matter of power. So listen, if Annalisa or Tyler, the camp directors, get up here and excuse me, Brian, I've got to interrupt your sermon. We are in charge here, and we declare that there are six lights on the stage. You know what our camp directors are if they say that? They're wrong. They're wrong. They're incorrect. It doesn't matter that they're in charge. It doesn't matter that they could send you home or me home. It doesn't matter about their power. They're wrong. And you know what happens in our world? There are really powerful people in government or in media or at your school or on your team who make a statement, and because they're in charge, we all think, okay, that must be true. But that's not the case. If powerful people say something that's wrong, you know what they are? They're wrong. Listen, truth is not a matter of opinion. I said there's two lights up here. And you don't get to be like, well, what is really a light? Let's talk about that word. You don't get to be like, I just don't feel like a light is really even a category I believe in. No, you're just wrong. One, two, that's it. It is not a matter of opinion. So that when you come to me and you say, here's my truth, I just go, there's no such thing as your truth. 
There's the truth. Now, you can have an opinion, and I've got loads of opinions. Like, if you ask me my opinion on things, I'll share my opinion. I'll share my opinion that the best cereal out there is Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries, okay? Like, I'll just boldly stand up here and tell you that. I, no, and, and listen, if you want to disagree with me, I'll pray for you because you're wrong. But, but, but actually, yeah, thank you, thank you. I like this section over here. But, but here's the deal. If someone else comes up in here and says, no, no, Raisin Bran is my favorite cereal. Whoa, 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 whoa. But, but listen, listen. If someone gets up here and says, no, it's Raisin Bran, and someone else comes up here and says, no, it's Cinnamon Toast Crunch, right? Like, yeah, right? Listen, like, we can have this whole discussion on the favorite kind of cereal. But, but here's what it comes to in the end. All of these are opinions. None of these are like the truth. And so what we need to do is we need to be able to say, here's my opinion, but here's the truth. I would love for you to scrub my truth or your truth from your vocabulary because it just confuses the matter. But like, again, truth is that which corresponds with reality. Listen, truth is not a matter of feelings. So I say there's two, two lights up here on stage. And imagine someone's like, two, two, I do not like the number two. My ex-boyfriend's phone number ended with two. And just every time I hear the word two, I just, I just cringe. I just don't like it, you know? And you're like, so there's four lights on the stage. Like, your feelings just don't determine that. Like, your feelings do not determine the facts. There's two lights up here. And you can feel something to the core of your being, and you are wrong. Because truth is that which corresponds with reality. And here's the final one. Truth is not a matter of popular vote. Can we just say that, like, if I put it to a vote, and I was like, who here votes that there's two lights, and like a few of you raise your hand, and then I'm like, who here votes that there's a hundred lights on this stage, and everyone in this room raises their hand, you know what you all are? Wrong! And, and here's what happens, don't miss this. In our cultural discussion today, people will be like, well, everyone believes this is true, 70% of Americans believe this, 90% of people believe this, everyone at my school believes this, so it must be the case, and here's what I want you to know, that everyone in the world once thought the world was flat. Everyone in the world once thought the sun rotated around the earth, and everyone was wrong, because truth is that which corresponds with reality. See, this week, what I hope you see is the truth. Not my opinion, not your opinion, not your feelings, not popular vote, not power, not, not feelings, not tradition, but truth. Because here's what John says in verse 9. He says, the true light is giving light to everyone who is coming into the world. It goes on in verse 10. It says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but they did not receive him. So in other words, the story of Jesus is this. God sends Jesus into the world. And God sends Jesus not just to random people, but God sends Jesus to the people of Israel, the covenant people of God in the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is about one people group, one nation, and that's the nation of Israel. And God sends Jesus to them. And you know what it says about them? There's two things they didn't do. Look at your text in verse 10 and 11. They did not recognize him, so they did not receive him. Two things. They did not recognize him, so they did not receive him. Like, in other words, they got caught up in so many other things that they didn't see who Jesus was. And because they didn't see that Jesus was the truth, they didn't receive him in the way they should have. And here's why this matters. And here's my concern. My concern is that some of you will make that same error this week. That you will not recognize what Jesus is doing in your life. And because you do not recognize what Jesus is up to, you will not receive what he has had for you this week. Like, do you know that the God of the universe doesn't have you here on accident? 
Like you may have signed up, your parents may have signed you up, maybe you don't even want to be here, but the God of the universe wants you here. And what God has for you is a very specific thing he wants to do in your life. And the tragedy is that when people come to camp and they do not recognize what God is doing, and therefore they don't receive what he wants for them to receive in their life. But like, let me put it to you this way, like um, for decades, I took kids up to camp, like here at Hume Lake, other camps, and here's what would happen. We would go up to camp, uh, and people would not recognize what Jesus was doing, and instead get caught up in all kinds of distractions that were never the main point of camp. Like they were fine things, good things, okay things, but they were never the point of camp. And they got so distracted on something, they missed out on what God was actually doing. And that's my fear for so many of you this week. Like, you know what my fear is, young ladies? My fear for some of you is that there will be some guy this week. And you just kind of like have this little crush, you have this little thing going on. And listen, that's not a bad thing. But like God's just like wired us that way. I get that. That's not a bad thing. But listen, listen. When a good thing becomes the ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. And so if you, this week, just like get caught on some guy, and that becomes your week uh, of like flirting with him and talking with him and hanging out with him and being around him, and suddenly you're so obsessed with him, I promise you, you will miss out on what Jesus has, and you will not have the week that God planned for you. Like, I just don't want you to miss out on that. Uh, like, young men, like, I'm just so concerned that some of you will do, like, recreation tomorrow morning. We're so pumped on that. You're like, I'm going to win rec, and rec is a good thing, but when you make a good thing the ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. And so my fear is that you'll get so hyped up on some competition that you'll actually miss out on what Jesus is trying to teach you this week. Like, my fear for some of you is you'll be so obsessed with your physical appearance. You'll be so obsessed with the friend drama that's going on. You'll be so obsessed with something that is small and little, and you will miss, just like the people of Israel did, what Jesus wants to do in your life this week. Like, again, the people of Israel did not recognize Jesus. And because they did not recognize him, they did not receive him. And it says in verse 12, yet to those who did receive him. So apparently there were some people who did receive Jesus who recognized him for who he is and received him as Lord, as the way, the truth, and the light. It says, to those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent nor human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. And you know what I believe with all my heart, and I'm just going to stand up here night one and boldly say this? That's going to happen to some of you this week. For the first time in your life, you are going to receive Jesus, and your life is going to be turned upside down. Just like when I was 13 years old and I encountered a something and that something was a someone and that someone was Jesus, that's going to happen for some of you. For some of you, it's like me, you grew up in church and you've always just kind of been fiddling around with religion and church and just kind of the ideas of God and you're going to encounter Jesus and it's going to change you this week. For some of you, you've wanted nothing to do with God. You're not even sure you believe in God. You're not even sure why you're here this week. But I believe this is going to happen, that you would receive Jesus, believe on his name, and become a child of God. And why do I believe that's the case? Like, why am I so confidently up here just saying God's going to rock your world this week? Here's why. Verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know what the Bible says here? The word became flesh, like in other words, God actually took on human flesh. And, and, and there's actually two words for like flesh and body in the ancient language of Greek that this is written in. There's like bodies, but then there's flesh. And flesh means Jesus wasn't just like some fake human. Jesus had hair and fingernails and teeth, and he'd get tired and would have to eat and would have to do all the normal things human did. Jesus steps into a human flesh. And lives among us. And then here's what it says. It said he made his dwelling among us. The literal translation of that word is Jesus pitched his tent among us. Like in other words, the God of the universe stepped into human existence and lived amongst us. You know why, you want to know why I'm so confident that God's going to move in your life this week? It's not because Hume Lake's awesome. 
Can I just say this? Like, I love Hume. I love the ministry here. I love the people who lead it. I love what they do. I just have such an affection for this place. But I got to tell you, the power's not Hume Lake. It's not like God lives up here on this mountain. He's like, this is my tent. I live here. Like, this is not how it works. I love Hume Lake, but your life isn't going to be changed because of Hume Lake. Like, I got to tell you, my, your life isn't going to be changed because of my preaching. Like, I just don't have the power to change your life. I don't have the capacity to change you. You have a cabin leader, and that's amazing. And they are an amazing man or woman of God who is up here serving you this week. But they don't have the power to change you. You want to know why I'm so confident that God is going to come get your heart this week? Because the whole story of the gospel is captured in verse 14. It says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know what's stunning? Before you wanted anything to do with God, God said, I want that man. I want that woman. I'm moving into their neighborhood so I can have a relationship with them. God moved first. God moved on you. God said, I want to step into that relationship. God moved toward you before you moved toward him. And here's why this is so beautiful. Because I think there's some of you, even if you've grown up in church, some of you have spent your whole life running away from God. And if you would stop this week, and turn around, you would recognize that God has never, ever stopped chasing after you. Here's the stunning thing about the gospel. The gospel is not the story of how you get to God. The gospel is the story of how God got to you and how you receive that. I am so confident that Jesus is going to move in your life, more confident than some of you are, not because of anything about this camp or this week or myself or your church or your leaders. I am confident because the Holy Spirit of God is on the move in this room because Jesus moved first. And then here's the verse we'll close on tonight. Verse 14 ends this way. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, I think this is a fascinating verse in the Bible. And the reason I think it's a fascinating verse in the Bible is because this verse captures, it kind of summarizes the entire life of Jesus. And isn't it fascinating that what it says is it's, this is the glory of Jesus, the one and only son. He's full of grace and truth. Notice it could have said like he's full of miracles. He did really cool miracles. Could have been he was full of powerful teaching or divine power or glory on high. But that's not what it says. When John is summarizing the life of Jesus, what John points out is that Jesus is full of grace and truth. If you have your Bible with you, underline those two words, grace and and truth, because here's the truth. Grace and truth define the life of Jesus. Grace and truth define the life of Jesus. You want to know what Jesus was all about? He was about grace, and he was about truth. And if grace and truth define the life of Jesus, listen to me, grace and truth to define our lives, too. If grace and truth define the life of Jesus, grace and truth should define our lives, too. Grace and truth. Let me point it out, though. I think there are some of you in this room. Some of you in this room are truth people. You're truth people. Some of you in this room grew up in church. You know the Bible. You know what it has to say. You're not afraid to say what the Bible has to say, and you are not afraid to stand for what God says is true and moral and good and right. Some of you are truth people, and it is beautiful. Some of you are truth people, and you are willing to stand on God's word with courage, and you don't care what the culture says because you serve God on high, and you are a truth person, and that is beautiful. And yet, some of you who are truth people, you entirely lack grace for other people. You stand for God's truth, but you have no compassion, no empathy, no grace, no patience for those who sin differently than you. Your truth causes you to look down at people and be condescending and rude and mean and harsh. People see you as judgmental and cold because you stand for truth, but you have no grace. I think that's some of you in this room. 
I think some of you in this room came into this week, you are truth people, but you entirely lack grace. And then there's another group of you, and I'm going to be bold enough to say, I think this is the majority of this room. See, there are some of you who are truth people and you lack grace, but there are others of you who are grace people. You are kind and compassionate and empathetic. No one has ever called you judgmental. You are the kind and inclusive person who everyone wants to be around. You're like a warm hug to everyone you experience, and they love that in you, and that is a beautiful Christ-like thing in you. But my fear for some of you who are grace people is that you have no sense of God's truth, no sense of what God has to say, no sense of his truth, his morality, how he has defined the world. And so anytime the world pushes back, you cave and you compromise, you give in to what the world says, you are a grace person, but you entirely lack truth. And here's what we see here, that to be like Jesus is to be full of both grace and truth. Now here's the mistake people make when I say this. The mistake people make is that they are grace people and they're the truth people. And so they go, okay, I'm a truth person. So you know what I need to do? I need to become a little less truthful and a little more gracious. And then the people who are grace people are like, you know what, I'm convicted by that. I need to become a little less gracious and a little more truthful. But notice it does not say that Jesus was the perfect balance of grace and truth. It says that he was full of both. He was full of both grace and truth. And so here's what that means for us this week. And here's how I want to close. And here's what I hope for every single person in this room. I think there are some of you who are truth people. You've come in, you know the truth of God, you're willing to stand for it, you're full of courage, you're full of conviction, and you will stand upon this. This week, I hope you encounter the wild, unfettered grace of Jesus. I hope you see Jesus and the way he treats sinners, the way he treats people who are struggling. I hope you see the compassion, that he is gentle and lowly in heart, that he is willing to step into the hardest situations. I hope you are just wowed and dazzled by the grace of Jesus. And then there are some of you who are grace people, and here's what I hope for you this week. I hope that you find the solid bedrock of God's truth that you can stand upon in every season, and that you wouldn't lose an ounce of the grace of Jesus, the compassion and the mercy and the kindness that you have in you, but rather you would say, in addition to that, I'm going to stand firmly upon the word of God. Because here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Jesus was the perfect balance of grace and truth. It says that he was filled with the full measure of grace and truth. May that be true about your life. Maybe even for some of you, as you jump into some kind of like cabin discussion or discussion with your, your leaders tonight, maybe you would just be able to confess, hey, you know what? I've been a truth person. I'm not very gracious. I'm not very kind. I'm not very compassionate. I need to grow in this. And others of you would say, you know what? I've been a grace person. I'm compassionate and inclusive and empathetic and kind, but I've not st stood firm upon the truth of God. Grace people, truth people. And then here's what I hope for all of you. I hope this week that you encounter something. That same something I talked about encountering when I was coming into high school, when I was going into my final year of middle school coming into high school, that something is a someone, and that someone is the resurrected Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And my prayer and my expectation because of the power of the Holy Spirit is that you will encounter him this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for tonight, and thank you for your word. Thanks for this group of folks who have just driven in. I know it's been a long day for them. I know they've traveled. I know they're settling in. I know there's so many things swirling in their mind. God, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move in their hearts, move in their lives, give them peace, allow them to see what you are up to, allow them to be witnesses, allow them to receive it, allow them to perceive what you're doing in their lives. God, may you move in power at camp this week. God, I don't want to ask for small things. I want to ask for big things. I want to ask you to move by the power of your Holy Spirit to the glory of Jesus Christ, the one filled with grace and truth. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said real loud. Amen. Amen.